0: One voice multiplied. That's our tagline. You'll see it on Impactually's website, social media pages, and advertising. It defines what we do and the stories we tell. We feature singular and sometimes plural voices of everyday people who are on a mission for positive change, not necessarily for themselves, but for the greater good of their communities. We value their voices, those who advocate for social justice, the environment, the disabled, and the arts, just to name a few. And as stories unfold, we observe the ripple effect of their work. Almost a year ago, we featured Elle Lively, executive director of the nonprofit Michigan Music Alliance, in an episode we called Music in the Mitten. It was just the second week of the COVID 19 pandemic when hundreds of industries across the country were shuttered. The live events industry was hit especially hard when bookings from large festivals to small theaters and neighborhood bars were canceled. Elle launched one of, if not the first, national music industry COVID response fundraiser called Spread the Music during which she brought together 200 Michigan musicians and support professionals for a five-day, 55-hour live virtual concert that addressed the immediate financial needs of those affected by venue closures during the pandemic. The success of that event resulted in essential microgrants for out-of-work touring artists, music teachers, church choir directors, and others who make their livelihood in music. So here we are a year later, and COVID is still very much part of the landscape. But as these restrictions begin to ease, there's light at the end of the tunnel for those struggling to make ends meet. However, there's one issue that cannot be fixed by open doors, microgrants, or stimulus checks. And that's the inequity of representation of women in the music industry. And so Elle has found a new mission to champion A few months ago, she sent out an all-points bulletin to Michigan women—musicians, vocalists, and recording engineers—to gather virtually from across the state to collaborate on a project that would not only celebrate International Women's History Month, but also shed light on the challenges they face by being grossly underrepresented in their industry. They banded together to demand equality by paying homage to a woman who was among the first to break glass ceilings in the recording industry. It's called Respect, and our story starts here. From the studios of Home Productions, I'm Brooke Bechtold, and this is Impactually. (laughs) On February 14, 1967, a young woman from Detroit entered Atlantic Recording Studios in New York City and laid down her arrangement of a song that would become an anthem for equality. She was 25 years old. Her name was Aretha Louise Franklin, and that song was R E S P E C T. Aretha grew up in Detroit one of six children to C.L. Franklin, a gifted and charismatic African-American Baptist preacher. She sang in her daddy's gospel choir as a teenager. NPR contributor Dream Hampton once wrote that Aretha had a voice that was a gift as much as a burden. Quote, From the beginning, Franklin's strength was measured, like so many, by her ability to endure suffering. End quote. But struggles like teenage motherhood, domestic abuse, and divorce wouldn't define her. In fact, they were part of her path to greatness. At 18 and already the mother of two, she moved to New York City to pursue her career in music, an industry that was dominated by men, agents, managers, songwriters, producers, and instrumentalists, all of whom had very specific assumptions about how and what a woman should sing. But that didn't sit well with Miss Franklin. Aretha did whatever she felt she needed to do in order to make those songs her own. Tempos changed, words were added or removed, and sometimes entire verses ignored altogether. Her ability to assert control over her career was a watershed moment for female artists seeking to find their own artistic voice. A career powered by adversity, trauma, and resiliency, Aretha stood her ground. She had earned her diva dues and wasn't afraid to let people know it. No one told her how to be, ever. But it was her gender-bending version of Otis Redding's song, Respect, that caught the attention of feminists, civil rights activists, and counterculturists. Respect defined Aretha and the women's rights movement for decades. It was the battle cry for empowerment. Miss Franklin was 76 years old when she passed away in 2018. Her music career spanned nearly six decades, during which she was nominated for 44 Grammy Awards and took home 18. She was the first woman inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and she sold more than 75 million records. But for the 7 million times and counting, respect has been played on American radio stations. Miss Franklin was never paid a dime. Think about that for a moment. Hello? Hey, James, it's Brooke. How's it going? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm good. Hey, listen, I'm doing some research for our next show, and I just wanted to ask you a quick question. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Okay. So, um what kind of music do you listen to? You know, just in general?
1: Um I kind of listen to what I think would be considered our parents' music or maybe your music, like,
2: you know, 60s, 70s, 80s and then a little bit of uh like a funk, funk rock for more modern stuff.
0: That's cool. Uh and approximately how many artists do you think you have in your music library?
3: Ooh, uh, maybe like 500.
0: That's a good number. And out of that, how many of those are women?
1: Mm, Maybe like 30 or 40%. I'd like to say 50, but I feel like realistically it's like 30 or 40%.
0: That was James, our associate producer. His answers are what we might consider a benchmark for most 20, 30, 40-somethings who use online streaming platforms to listen to music. But that percentage doesn't jive with current music industry norms. Would it surprise you to know that in 2019, the number of female popular music artists in the top 100 Billboard charts was less than 23%? And don't let the wonderful success of Beyonce and Billie Eilish fool you. According to a recent Northwestern University study, females are grossly underrepresented in the music industry. The study found that A, men release more songs than women, B, are more frequently signed to record labels than women, and C, are aligned with more collaborators to produce new music than women. While that didn't sit too well with L. Remedy comes in the form of a voice, or in this case, many voices, pushing for change. How better to bring light to this issue than to build a project in the name of respect? So she virtually gathered 55 female industry professionals to pay homage to the Queen of Soul. How did this project, the Respect Project, come to be?
1: The idea was born because in 2019, we did a Fleetwood Mac cover of the chain with a group of 15 female front women from all around Michigan. And we'd wanted to do something like that again and really blow it up a little bit more, get all female you know, musicians and inter- instrumentalists and engineers and really make it a bigger type of project. And unfortunately, COVID-19 came about and that got pushed off to the side as many other people had to focus on different priorities in light of the fact that It's Women's History Month for March and International Women's Day, and people are ready. And um, they're starting to have a little bit of hope again, I think, and be in a place where they're ready to talk about something else and create something together. Why did you choose to honor Aretha Franklin and focus on respect? The sheer fact that everyone knows that song and everyone can scream those lyrics with such justification it's really a song that speaks to anyone and especially female musicians and the career that Aretha had and you know the fact that she wasn't given what she deserved and um, she has paved the way for a lot of female artists who are now not afraid to ask for what they need and demand it. And that song will always be relevant no matter who's singing it. Uh, and the fact that we were able to, hopefully do a little bit of homage and justice to the original is I think really special because I know that she holds a special place in the hearts of a lot of female musicians who look up to her.
0: Generations, the music industry has been male-dominated, and gender bias has worked against the best interest of women artists. They've been stereotyped, sexualized, and shut out. And while there's growing attention to the issue and some small improvements in the demographic makeup of the industry, women are still a ways from celebrating real equality. According to a University of Southern California study entitled Inclusion in the Recording Studio, I quote, women account for 21% of artists, 12% for songwriters, and 2% for producers. The gender disparity of male producers to female is 47 to 1, and when it comes to songwriters, 57% of the songs studied did not credit a woman, where only less than 1% did not credit a man, end quote. Gender implications are pervasive. Strong and memorable women in the music industry are just like men, amazingly talented artists. For those of us who have never set foot in a recording studio, audio engineers and producers work their magic behind the scenes. They weave together the instruments and the vocals or the tracks of a song designing and controlling how a project comes together and what the end product's going to sound like. Maggie Heron has been a sound engineer for five years. A musician herself, she started out in front of house gigs, operating a live soundboard at an underground venue in Detroit and various festivals while in college. And each concert deepened her love for working with musicians and producing music with incredible sound.
4: My name is Maggie. I'm an audio engineer and a producer. I'm based out of Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, I currently work at a recording studio called La Luna Recording and Sound. Um, Ian Gorman is the studio owner and chief engineer there. Um, And I also work there with Cynthia Kelly, who is the other mix engineer who worked on the project with us. It's one of my favorite places to be.
0: 20 years ago, the Audio Engineering Society's Women in Audio Committee, a tellingly now defunct group, loosely estimated that 5% of those working in the production field were female. An Annenberg study 18 years later found that number was even lower, closer to 2%. With men holding the vast majority of technical jobs in audio, it stands to reason that virtually all the music we hear, whether online or in live venue, has been shaped by a man. La Luna Recording is doing its part to bend that trend. According to The Atlantic, women in audio deal with unique challenges that come from working with a cross-section of two traditionally male-dominated fields— Because of the technical nature of their jobs, they experience issues similar to those many women in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, such as struggling for respect and being second-guessed by their peers. Can you explain the difference between engineering, mixing, and mastering? Ooh, sure. Um, Yeah, so all of those things are types of
4: engineering, right? Um, Mixing tracking is something tracking is something that happens when you are actually recording the signal sources so like when the viola player comes in and we set up the microphone and we capture that sound source for the track that we're, we're recording. That's tracking. Um, a lot of times people who are doing that type of work, it's called a recording engineer, but mixing is a dedicated amount of time to get all of the things that are inside your session file sitting together and sounding well. That's the majority of a lot of uh, computer work, I guess, in, in this instance, um, to, get the, to get all of the tracks sounding really nice. Mastering is something that happens at the end. And generally, your master is, uh, like for an album, it's your glue. It's your special touches, something that you're running all of your songs through, trying to make it homogenous or, or something. Give it a special touch that gives all of the tracks between the album, something that makes them feel like they live together, that they're linked. It's just a fresh years past. They haven't been listening to it you know, a bunch of times in a row. So they have a little bit of a fresh perspective for for like the very minute, small things at the end, a little bit of shimmer on the high end or something, you know, but not changing or altering um, all the work that the mix engineer did.
0: Elle put together this amazing and and enthusiastic team. So what's been the takeaway from this experience for you?
4: There were so many people organizing and contributing and then also yeah just the timeline of everything like was so condensed and everybody just like did what they needed to do in the time that they needed to do it and honestly like Cynthia and Ian and I all kind of mixed the track and that's odd I guess that's not generally like how stuff goes sometimes egos can kind of get in the way um, because you end up making creative decisions um, in the process, but you gotta, you know, it's in the spirit of collaboration. You've got multiple other minds there and multiple, you know,
0: it's, a, it's not just yours. It's true that the music industry is brutally competitive for anyone wanting to break into the business. Songwriters, managers, agents, promoters, producers, engineers, marketers, media, and everyone in between but the performers themselves may have the toughest job of all. With literally hundreds of thousands of talented artists across the globe, recognition is an uphill battle. The UK-based Songwriter Music College estimates that an artist's chance of being the next big thing is one in 50 million. So, it's often every man or woman or artist for themselves— but it also recommends that one small step in getting noticed is to put aside egos and start to collaborate resources and ideas. And that's just what Elle did. She asked a large group of professional females to work together in the spirit of collaboration over competition. There's strength in numbers, and her vision was to make their collective voices about gender inequality in the music industry. Serena Ray and Sarita Black Rose Crowley are both well known artists in the Michigan music scene, and Elle tapped them as a duo to sing lead vocals for this project. With no room for egos, these two were a shoe in. Both women, much like Aretha, started singing in their church choirs.
2: I am Sarita. I grew up in Ravenna, Michigan on a farm, so I'm a a country girl. <laughs> it may not seem like it, but yeah, we had cows, pigs, chickens, and
0: where's Ravana?
2: It's it's in um, the general area of uh, between Grand Rapids and Muskegon, Michigan. So it's really tiny.
0: What did you guys farm?
2: Uh, we just had fields of lo- lots of vegetables. My dad uh, would would uh, till all the the earth and um, we get a, an abundance of groceries for to feed us kids. Um, I'm from a family of 10. My mom and my dad taught me how to, um, you know, uh, do the garden thing and um, can and cook. We, we um, had lots of uh, eggs from our chickens, uh, the meat and, you know, and we res- resourced it all and all the vegetables that we grew and yeah. So it was a great, great living. I, I recommend it to, you know, some people aren't familiar with that, but it's a, trust me, it's a good thing, especially nowadays. It's a great
0: <laughs> So you live now in Grand Rapids. What do you do for a living?
2: Music. Uh, my band is Sarita's Black Rose, you know, and, um, and I'm known as Black Rose. So.
0: <laughs> when did you start singing?
2: well I you know of course everybody always says we started out in the church well I kind of did but I I would uh, sing around the house all the time and my brothers would be like mama tell Rita to shut up you know and so so I was probably around four um I grew up grew up in singing in the church because I went to tent revivals with my mama those were great I love those tent revivals and I remember one time we sang. um, It was like a it was a bunch of churches that got together and it was it was a truly a revival. Right. And so our choir showed up and four people out of 40 some people showed up for our to represent us. Right. And so I was like slinking down in my chair and I was right in the front row and my mom was like. Get on up there. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to go there. Yeah, I basically got, I, I was made to go up there, right? So, as it was, I would not sing, and people didn't know I could sing because I was really shy. And nobody really ever asked me. And, you know, the, the preacher's daughters would all have the parts for all the events and plays. And I would just kind of be like, mm, mm, rah, rah, just kind of mumble and just do the little thing. And so I was wasn't there, you know, and so, right. The mumbler, the professional mumbler. Right. And um, after seeing four people out of our uh, choir, I don't know what happened. I, I erupted like a volcano that day. I don't know if something came over me. Maybe it was the spirit, the Holy spirit. I don't know, <laughs> but I started wailing. And I scared everybody. They stopped. See, they looked at me and they were like, Whoa, I didn't know you could sing, and I was like, nobody ever asks. <laughs>
5: Helen.
0: In its earliest days, tent revivals were organized by traveling evangelical ministers whose mission was to bring religion to rural frontier communities that lacked established churches. The phenomenon cut across denominations and race. These camp meetings, as they were called, were, and still are, a high-energy brand of Christianity. The Tent Revival experience is also deeply rooted in the Black Church, and their emotionally charged services continue to be part of the African American experience today. Aretha Franklin is widely remembered for the gospel foundations she learned, touring the Tent Revival circuit with her father's New Bethel Baptist Church. The soft playing Heaven, you hear, was recorded by Serena Ray.
3: Yes, so my name is Serena Ray. I have been born and raised in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I love it here. It's so beautiful in Michigan. Um, And I grew up in a single parent home, low income, come from a biracial family. Uh, My mom is white, my dad is black. What I do, I love to uplift and inspire everyone around me. So during the day, Uh, during the weekday anyways, I am a career counselor for students and I kind of just help them with their future in regards to what they're going to do after high school and then really listen to them and hear um, their passions and their interests and kind of just try to help guide them towards a bright future that they can be excited about. And then uh, on the weekends, I sing with a band called Blue Water Kings and then I also sing with a band called Brenna.
0: When did your singing start and how has your career grown? Okay.
3: So this is definitely a question to unpack. I, um, have been singing my whole life. My mom is a singer and she was part of, um, the church choir. And so I was at all the rehearsals growing up. And I think that that really gave me an ear for music, um, but I really started to find my voice when I was, like, five. And then I had my first solo at six in front of a large church. And, like, that's when I I knew that's what I wanted to do. I mean, I felt the most myself. Well,
0: Elle was purposeful in choosing these two women for the project's lead. Like Aretha, they had deep gospel roots, a strong sense of selves, and undeniable vocal abilities. Prior to this project, they'd known about each other but had never worked together. Former competitors for coveted live music gigs, they were now a team taking a stand for gender equality. They recorded together at the Third Coast recording studio in Grand Haven, and the track they laid down was Pure Michigan Gold: Where were you when you got the call asking to you to, to be lead vocalist?
2: Girl, I was in the kitchen cooking. <laughs> I'm serious. I was in there making some, uh, girl, I don't know what I, cornbread or cookies or something, <laughs> but I was in the kitchen cooking and and I was all like, hey, let me get out of here so I can hear you. <laughs> no answer. But yeah, and I was like, wow, this is cruel. I, I'd love to do it. Um, Aretha was such a powerful um, woman, you know, as as a person, her her personality. I know Some people said she was like mean in real life. A lot of people's like, oh, Aretha was mean. I was like, Lord, when I sang this song, do not haunt me, Aretha. I hope I did justice.
0: I don't think she was mean. She was taking care of herself. I mean, she. I think she was
2: true. That's what I think. I think she was just such a strong woman and that she was going to be heard whether you wanted to hear it or not which is one of my, my absolute favorite things about her. And so, I, for the people that are saying she's mean, I was like, they're just haters. <laughs> they're just haters.
0: <laughs> Did you ever get a chance to see Aretha Franklin in concert?
2: Oh my gosh, you know what? I actually had tickets uh, a few years ago. Uh, she came to Muskegon. Uh, well, she was supposed to come to Muskegon and, and it got canceled. I think she was sick or something but I still have my ticket. I'm like, Oh Lord, I, I never got to see her. Um, I have several albums of her father, C.L. Franklin. And um, so my mom used to listen to gospel music all the time. So I used to listen to all those albums and um, I have, have several Aretha Franklin ones. So the Queen of Soul has always been a a staple, uh, you know, through black history, you know, cause I, I tell everybody, you know, Hey, I'm, I celebrate black history every day because I'm black every day, you know, and, uh, I have a lot of inspirations, um, you know, and she is one of them, a very, she's very vocal. She's, she's very powerful.
3: Um, yes. And it is probably one of my favorite memories ever. (laughs) I saw her in 2017 at DeVos hall in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, um, I went with my mom. We were in the nosebleeds of DeVos Hall, like literally the last um, aisle. I'm pretty sure she was in her 80s and she she was wearing these high heels and she had her mink coat on. And I kept waiting. I'm like, is she going to sing Respect? Is she going to sing Respect? And she did what a true diva would do. She ended the concert, leaves. And of course, everybody is like standing ovation, right? And we're all like, but we're all looking around like, she never sang Respect. She never sang Respect. She comes out. She made us wait for 10 minutes, y'all. Like, <laughs> literally, literally, we're all like, <laughs> like, we know this cannot be it. Like, how is this lady not going to sing Respect for us? She comes back out. She sings Respect. When I say the whole place was in tears, in tears.
0: Do you know the history behind the song?
3: Um, I do know that Otis Redding was the original writer and performer of the song. And she just totally took it, put her twist on it,
0: and she made it her own. The history behind Respect is interesting. It's unclear who wrote the initial score, but legend has it, it was an unknown guitarist from a little recording studio in Macon, Georgia. Otis Redding's 1965 version reinforced the traditional family structure of the time. Man works all day brings money home to his wife and pleads for her respect in return. Aretha liked Otis’s version, but she knew she could bring something new to it. Well, she turned the original song on its ear. Besides changes to the musical arrangement, her story is told as a declaration from a strong and confident woman. She knows she has everything her man wants. She never does him wrong. She doesn’t plead for his respect she demands it. And in other words, if you want some, you'll earn it. She was never paid for that song because Mr. Redding is the one who wrote it. Crazy. That is crazy. Never. Yeah.
3: And that, and that taught, that speaks to the um inequity and the injustice within the music industry and um It's just crazy that there was no justice at all.
0: Even in the 2000s, like, that's crazy. Yeah. The stuff that we uncovered, she, every time she performed, her handbag was on stage where she could see it.
3: Oh, yeah. She talked about that. Actually, she did talk about that at the concert. She said um, about how, you know, people can call me old school. They can call me whatever they want. But I leave with my money, and I know I have my money before I perform.
0: The 60s were a time of cultural awakening. The counterculture challenged sexual relations, art and media, religion and family, calling into question social priorities and stereotypical motivations that had rewarded men more than women for centuries. The civil rights movement was a struggle for social justice and an end to institutionalized racial discrimination. It was a call for black Americans to duly gain equal rights under the law in the United States. And the feminist movement of the 1960s was a demand for liberation and freedoms, equal education and employment, opportunities in politics, and sexuality. Legal precedents still reinforced sexual inequalities, and many women knew they had more to offer than the burdens of just being a homemaker and that meant it was time to declare enough is enough. Aretha's Respect Anthem came at a time of revolution in cities all over the country, including Detroit. Her song shattered the aesthetic atmosphere. When her track was released in April of 1967, it soared to number one on the R&B charts and solidly remained there for eight weeks. Women musicians have been fighting an uphill battle for equality since before Aretha sang in her dad's church, and the movement for equality today is sung as a celebration for those who have walked that mile and those yet to come. Elle's focus within the Michigan Music Alliance, along with their savvy board of directors, is in education, a true resource teaching artists how to be good at the business of music.
1: And the fact that everyone is really comfortable with that song and and the the purpose of it and the meaning behind it. And um, you know, it's a feel-good song ultimately. It's not just about empowerment and female empowerment, but it's it's a feel-good song. It's definitely puts you in a good headspace when you finish finish
0: it out. Can you talk about the business of music and the leadership roles that women have throughout? In your opinion, what's the scene current day in terms of access and equality? And what positive effects do you hope the Michigan Music Alliance and your focus on education—you have a huge focus on education—which I think sets you apart from so many other people when it comes to bringing artists together. How, in regards to conversations, how is that all coming together? I would say we're all about
1: empowerment, right? So that's why it always circles back back to education—is if we can teach someone how to be confident. Um, in their skills that they're learning and be able to take the power into their own hands and create what they want for themselves and their music career you um, know that's the ultimate goal right is to basically teach teach someone to fish instead of just doing something for them um, really put it back in their control and have them take ownership over it and have the resources that they need to be successful in doing that I think for female artists what i run into a lot especially having tour managed a female fronted band is as women um we are a little nervous about being seen as divas or high maintenance and we're constantly compared and measured in that light which is a double standard completely because i can tell you there are there are a lot of people that are divas they're not all female (laughs) but it's uh it's definitely a label that we like to avoid. So oftentimes we're more passive potentially than we need to be. We don't ask for what we need. And when we do ask for what we need, we apologize. Um, Oh, Hey, you know, can I have an extra cable? I'm so sorry. Um, Whereas if it were a man doing it to be like, Hey, I need an extra cable. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Um, Totally different. Exactly. And because of some of the stereotypes in the music industry, um, you know, there are lots of different female stereotypes and not all of those are uh, true or viable. And I really want to set an example where we aren't looking at female artists in those lights. We're not trying to put them in a box and we're letting them define themselves and be who they are and ask for what they need without any shame attached to it so that they can be successful. We want to make sure we're acknowledging that we are seeing female musicians, we are hearing them. And not only um, are they important, but they belong here and we need them. So I, I wanna create an environment in the Michigan music community where um, it's not it's not acceptable to treat any musician, especially those who might be female um, in a way that's any less than another artist and that's something that sounds very um it sounds a little archaic it sounds a little um like oh shouldn't we be past that by now but but we're I, not but we're not I mean we, we're still having these conversations when you walk into a venue and you're carrying a guitar and get asked whose girlfriend you are and that's not okay anymore and it, it never was okay I'm hoping that By bringing light to some of the issues that female artists struggle with in the scene, Um, like the scenarios I just mentioned, or, you know, being more high maintenance at sound check because uh, you know what you're doing. Uh, We want to make those situations hopefully become
0: less and less prevalent. I circled back to Maggie first, then Sarita and Serena, to get a sense of what this experience has been like for them.
4: This project has been super inspiring. It's been a joy to be able to work with some of these amazingly talented women and relate to them and commune with them if they if you know if they got to actually come to the studio. Um, and I hope we can continue to do something like this in the years to come and hopefully at some point we can be together again in this studio at the same time. I guess the fact that hardly any of us actually got to be in the same room together for this whole project really just adds to my feeling inspired about it all because it makes me feel like I imagine we can make something even more powerful in the future when we can be face to face and talking about stuff and making decisions together along the way for something like this. I think it sounds beautiful and wonderful and hits exactly how it should, but with, with the timeline, if, if any, just one of us was mixing it, I don't think it would have been as good.
0: Um, any thoughts on how you might move forward in supporting women in music and how do you hope to be part of the conversation and bringing equality the business of music?
4: Well, support can come in so many forms, right? And bringing equality into an industry that has such a long history stained by the patriarchy happens little bits at a time. Um, You chip away at it project by project. And, you know, sadly, there may never be true equality in my lifetime, but that's the reason that we seek to change the things in the ways that we can, right? If I'm conscious every time I put a show together or something like that of what representation is present across all the bands on the bill, maybe that one show out of thousands in the state might be less white dudes centric or something. But if I do that, and L does that, and whoever else does that, then our fraction becomes a little bit bigger. I've met more female engineers in the live sound world than I have in the recording world. Um, I don't know if that's an actual like, if that's actually representative of a real statistic or not, but just my experience, I haven't, I haven't had a single older, wiser, mentor, engineer, audio lady in my lifetime so far. I'm looking. I'm, I'm, yeah. Will I'm you,
0: will you be one?
4: <laughs> yes, I hope to be one.
2: The project, my takeaway is I was really excited and, and I felt really uh, heartwarmed um, to know that we could reach everyone, not just women, but but a lot of women. And for us to have a voice and to, you know, let people out here know like, hey, we're here. And you're here because of us. And, uh, you know, we deserve our respect. And so I really love that, um, that they chose that song. And by such a powerful woman that has something to say. You know, give me my propers when you get home. Respect, you know. So I want to bring something to women and let them know you can do what you want to do. You can be what you want to be. You don't have to be afraid to, to sing, to paint, to cook. You, ain't, you don't just have to be popping out babies or having someone tell you what you need to do. Or, no, they don't know you and they don't tell you. Right? You tell them you're the Wonder Woman. You you, the Aretha Franklin, you see?
3: I will say, first off, I'm very privileged and very honored to have been a part of this project. And you're right, it is a collaboration over competition, right, because not only has the music industry put women up against each other, but the world has, right? And it's so beautiful to celebrate one another and to empower one another and uplift each other in our gifts, talents, and in our like every success that we have one, one voice can create a ripple, right? But voices can create a wave. Right. And I feel that, I feel that us women, us singing respect, we created a wave and, um, I just think that it's empowering, it's impactful, and it's it's positive. It's shining light on women and and letting everyone know, like, hey, we're here, we're strong, and we will be heard. Don't mm-hmm. let anybody stop you. And when people try to stop you, push them out
0: of your way. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know,
0: like run them over with your car. You know? exactly. The Respect
1: Project has, you know, two goals, really, in my mind. The main goal is to promote collaboration, especially between female artists, because I think that's really the only way that um, we're going to get through a lot of the struggles that we have right now and are going to continue to have as women is to come together and stand together and talk about them and open up the dialogue. And I think things like this um, present those opportunities for those conversations and they put people together who maybe haven't met each other before who are now reaching out. Um, also, I really wanted to reach out to more people in the Michigan music community. We're based on the West side and our reach often stops there. And I, I really want to change that. I want to bridge the gap between the East and the West. It's all Michigan. It's all the same. And I want to make it one music community and that this is for everyone. And also you know the goal is to just let more people know about what we're doing with michigan music alliance and i think that such a fantastic song with a fantastic story behind it behind it is a great vehicle to continue um sharing our message and what we're all about especially when um it's something like the collaboration over competition message i mean you you can't you can't beat a better demonstration of that idea than this video and We're really excited that people are embracing it.
0: Michigan Music Alliance will continue to support musicians not just from within the mitten, but they're now mentors for other states' music alliances. The goal is to be the business resource for everyone involved in the music scene. Elle firmly believes it takes a village, and she knows that the MMA has its work cut out for it. They've done some amazing work in the little time they've been around, and as Elle says, the only direction they can go from here is up. And now, without further ado, their version of Aretha's R-E-S-P-E-C-T. and produced in cooperation with HUM Productions. Our web address is HUM, H-U-M-M, productions.com. Financial support for the show is generously provided by JLB Images. We'd like to extend our sincerest thanks to our guests, L. Lively, Maggie Heron, Serena Ray, and Sarita Crowley. Special thanks to the Michigan Music Alliance for providing their production of respect for this episode. For more information about the Alliance, guest photos, and performance videos, you can find them on our website under this episode's show notes. You'll also find Aretha Franklin's official video of Respect and links to Serena Ray and Sarita Black Rose's websites. Their music is available on all major streaming platforms. And our team, Christine Murdoch, Senior Producer and Editor. Sound Engineering by Matt Wheeler. James Nash, Associate Producer, Richard Cassis of Spark, Inc. for Digital Artwork and Branding, and Photography by Charles Cherney, Music Curation by L. Lively, and Andrew Sachs for Our Original Music. Subscribe and listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Radio Public, or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it as it helps others find us, too. We'd love to hear from you, so send us an email or find us on social media. Pitch us ideas about people who you think would be great to have on our show. Maybe it's even you. We'll be back soon with another extraordinary episode, Everyone Has a Story, Share. I'm Brooke Bechtold. Thanks for listening.